thank you for, for that. Is the microphone on? It's working. All right, so as, as Pastor Kerr said, we are final installment of the Great Statements of Faith series, and we will be looking at the book of Habakkuk. Uh, and the, the book of Habakkuk is a, it's a short book. I mean, yeah, it's a short book. There's three chapters. Uh, the first book, we have a man crying out to God, questioning him, even accusing him. And in book three, and in fact, the conclusion of the entire, um, sorry, chapter three, uh, the conclusion of the entire book, we have really one of the most powerful statements of faith in scripture, a wonderful, mature, um, and, and moving statement. So we're going to look at that today, that, that moving statement, that, that focused statement of faith in Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. But as I'll explain, we're actually going to look at um, other aspects of Habakkuk to see how he gets there. So for, for those of you, if any of you are like my, my students, we tend to overlook titles. Um, so I want to point you in the direction of, of the title here, um, Dynamic Faith. Um, dynamic Faith. So what is dynamic? Well, there's two aspects of it, right? Dynamic is powerful, right? Like dynamite, dynamo. There's a powerful statement, and I think that's what we have in 3.17.19. But it also has the aspect of a changing faith. Um, and in literature, we have a term called dynamic character, right? What's a dynamic character? It's a character that changes from the beginning of the story to the end, as opposed to a static character, which doesn't, stays the same. So in a weird way, our character for today is going to be the faith of Habakkuk, and we're going to look at how that changes from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. So here's our outline. First thing we're going to look at is the faith of Habakkuk in chapter 1. See how that's doing. Then we're going to look at the faith of Habakkuk in 317 to 19. Then we're going to look at sort of some of the middle parts of the book, Romans and, and, and other pieces of scripture, to answer the question, what causes that change? What allows Habakkuk to go from this uh, sort of irreverent statements to, to this wonderful mature statement? And so that's what we're going to look at um, today. And to give you a little heads up, that last point has three separate points below that. We'll get to those. So let's look at the book of Habakkuk. I'm going to ask for some volunteers to read three different sections. So volunteers to read each one of these, Habakkuk 1, 2, yeah, Habakkuk 1, 2 to 4, Habakkuk 1, 5 to 11, and then 12 to 17. I think what we'll do is I'll have a person read the first one and then just do a kind of a brief overview, make sure everyone's getting what's going on, read the second one, kind of a brief overview, same thing for the third, and then look at it as a whole and try to draw some conclusions about what's going on here with Habakkuk. So can I have a volunteer for, um, for the first one? Yes, Dave, can you read that for me?
So my basic question there is, what's going on? And let me first give you a little bit of context, not a lot, but a little bit of context um, for the book of Habakkuk. So this is written probably uh, between 609 and 605 BC. Um, so that's written after the death of uh, King Josiah. And, well, I'll get to the other piece when we look at the second one. But so basically, we're seeing a bad time in Israel. I think that's our basic point. What are, does anyone else want to give a little bit more of what's going on in that first? What do you see there um, fairly briefly, if anyone has any thoughts? Yep, Dave? Yeah, it, it is kind of insulting. Why do you idly, why do you sit back and do, do nothing? I mean, it's, it's really that big question that I think comes to us, uh, many people, is why does God allow evil, right? Is basically his question is why do you allow evil? And just to point a little bit to the context there, he is talking about this evil within, um, within the, the Jewish nation at that point. So we have corrupt leaders after Josiah, and we get that sense by the line, um, verse 4, where he says the law is paralyzed. Law there is basically Torah. I think that's the, the word. So we're talking about within the nation there. Um, and I think that's important as we read the next one. So can someone read the Lord's answer, uh, Habakkuk, 5, Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11? Okay. Um, Kathy, why don't you? So what is going on there? Do you want to? Yes, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and what is he say specifically? Can anyone point to what he's, he's saying is going to happen? Yeah. And by who? Bad guys. Good. Well, we haven't got there yet, but you know, I think you're right. I don't. I don't think we have. 
And I think, Ronnie, I think you're getting ahead of yourself to chapter two uh, in that. But he's talking about justice. He's talking about raising up these bad guys on the Chaldeans who are the Babylonians, really. This is prophecy about uh, the destruction of Israel. Um, this is talking uh, about what leads to the Babylonian exile, right? 587, um, and it's not too far away. So, and what we know about these, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, this is a, a, a cruel, cruel nation. I mean, this is, you can picture Habakkuk saying, you know, in his society, how bad is this? You know, why do you look on evil? It's corrupt. I can't do any. And then God responds, it's going to get a lot worse. Um, go ahead, Rob, and then. know if I'd go that far with the, the crowd. Yeah, I, I think one of, the, one of the things I've noticed, one of the tricky things about book one of Habakkuk is, because I've, I've listened to a number of people speak on it, and a lot of times they read a lot into the tone of both Habakkuk's response and God's response. And, pe and people, people are reading a lot of times very different things. Um, because we can kind of sympathize, we, we can put ourselves in this and say, oh yeah, I can see how this is happening. But I, yeah, I think we see a lot of that. I think, I, I don't say, think it's necessarily completely wrong, but it's a little bit of a danger there, especially for this book, I noticed. Sorry, Tim. And I think that's a fairly, not perfect, but fairly good analogy to think about where we're looking on injustice, we're looking on bad things happening in, in, in the state of the, the country. Um, but if someone said, we're gonna raise up Boko Haram and they're gonna take over the United States, we'd be like, that's, I was, that's not what I was hoping for. Um, and, I, and I think that's kind of what we're getting. But the basic message here is, Habakkuk is saying, why, do you do, why don't you do anything about evil? And God says, I am. Here, here are the Babylonians. Um, so let's look at then Habakkuk's second complaint in the, in the book of, sorry, in chapter one. Can I have a volunteer to read that one? Go ahead, Tim.
So what is Habakkuk's response to God's response? Yeah, but, okay. Dave? I think you're, you're absolutely right. When you, um, even God says that at the end of, of the, his response, that what do they, sorry, at the end of that, um, whose might is their own God? God says that himself, and then Habakkuk picks up on that and says they're worshiping their nets, they're worshiping their implements of destruction. Um, absolutely. Um, but big picture here, what is Habakkuk saying? He, he's saying, wait a second. Um, how, how does it make sense that you're going to punish? And there's a shift here, and I thought that's what you were getting at when you were saying moving the goalpost, because Habakkuk is saying, how are you going to punish the less, uh, the, the less evil, um, which is us, with this more evil nation? So the first thing was, what are you going to do about all this evil? Then he comes back and says, well, we're really not that evil. Um, these guys are much worse. How does that make sense? Um, and so there's a little bit of an inconsistency, I think, there in Habakkuk because he's, he's looking at himself. And, and we also have to have some sympathy here um, if you're thinking about what's coming. I, mean, I, I think it's easy to look at this and say, oh, that's not the right response. But put yourself in that position um, and, and think about how you're going to respond as well. Yeah, so... We, we see that piece, um, and this is even, that first line there, I think, is even more disrespectful. Uh, I've heard from, read some things about the Hebrew there, um, and this is a rhetorical question. Are you not from everlasting, um, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? From what I understand from different things, that's it's a rhetorical question, and it's basically, basically saying, I thought you were the everlasting God. I thought you were the Holy God. Maybe he doesn't go far enough to say you're not, but he's using that language. So it's very, um, I don't know the exact word for it, but it's very something. <laughs> and it's provocative, yes. So it's important to see that now we're going to look at this great statement of faith. Skip ahead a little bit, and this is what Habakkuk says in the close of his book, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. It's quite the shift. It's quite the shift. And what I want to look at today is sort of a little bit of how he gets there and some of the attributes. Um, I think we can, we can point to 
the basics here of what's going on um, and how this changes, but there is quite the shift. So what I'm going to do, and we can have additional discussion about this passage as we go through it, but I'm gonna make a couple points. So here's our really a central question here. How does Habakkuk, sorry, I was getting a little lazy with writing the name on and I put H. So how does H go from the depths of despair to the heights of joy when the situation as perceived through the senses has actually gotten worse? That's almost accurate, that question. If we're looking at the beginning part of Habakkuk, uh, his first complaint, yes, it's gotten worse. If we look at the second complaint, it actually probably hasn't. Um, or possible it has, but um, regardless, it's either gotten worse or stayed the same. So, so what are some things that we're going to look at? And first thing is perspective. Second thing is patient humility. And the third one is memory. So these are going to be the three pieces I want to look at and kind of trace them through what we see in the middle portion of Habakkuk um, and see how these things are developing and how you could say they lead to faith. Um, um, these are some, uh, some causes of this strength in faith. So I want to be very careful about causation and you know, what's coming first and, and what have you. But here are some of those aspects. So let's look at perspective. So I got out my dictionary, I looked it up, and perspective is the capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. Merriam-Webster did a good job with that one. Um, let's look at Habakkuk 2.1. Now this is 2.1, so this is the beginning of chapter 2, right after Habakkuk's second complaint that we read at the beginning. How does this start? It says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is an interesting transition. Uh, there, there, again, there are different uh, interpretations when people read tone into this and try to come up with different ways, but for our purposes, and I, I think regardless of how you read it actually, we see a couple things. And the main thing we see here is where does he go? Up. And what happens when you go up? You look down. And what happens when you look down? Yeah. The little, exactly. So you go up to a high place, you go up to the, the tower, whether it's a, a high building or a mountain, and all of a sudden you can see the lay of the land, right? And as, as Rob said, the little things, the small things that you thought were so important, you can't even see anymore. They're, they're obscured by this thing or that thing. Um, they're no longer important. So we see, I think, in 2.1, Habakkuk is going up, and that's where he starts to shift, and he starts to gain some perspective from being on the tower. And in fact, if we look at the closing of the book of Habakkuk, this is basically the last line, other than to the choir master, uh, basically the last line of the book, God the Lord is my strength, 
He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So the conclusion of the book, really the, the last words there are high places. Again, I think we see, among other things that high places could be, we see perspective. Okay, do I want to hear it? I don't. Okay. And he and 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 absolutely he's confident and we're going to get to that aspect as well, but I think what we're seeing is part of the reason he has that confidence sort of where that confidence might come from, or vice versa, um, is these high places, is this perspective. And what I really appreciate about this, and I think it's true for much of the Old Testament, though I, uh, don't quote me on that, is that we see this aspect of perspective as not only uh, an abstract idea, but as a physical thing. See, it's a physical tower. It's a physical high place, a mountain or what have you, which is probably the case if the if, it, if it's the deer that um, has sure footing. So we have a physical place, as well as the abstract. And then Romans 8.18, I think, is probably one of the best uh, lines related to uh, perspective when we're, we're dealing with things. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, re uh, that is to be revealed to us. So what is he doing? What is uh, Paul doing there? In a sense, uh, he's going to the high places and he's saying, look, there's a lot of horrible things that are happening to me. And there were to Paul from our perspective. Um, but he considers them nothing compared to what's coming. And I think that is, that is the, the sort of the, the key message here, is we have perspective. And I included the last part here, 24 through 21. Five. Now hope that is not seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's a, another element I think that plays through here that I haven't quite worked out completely um, is the, the seen and the unseen, right? Um, we are hoping for things that are unseen, as Paul is for the glory, but these are promises that we're waiting for. Um, and I think that is, that is key. And I also liked it because it transitions nicely to my next slide, patient humility. So the next piece after perspective, I think we definitely see in a backache is patient humility. Um, humility uh, from Merriam-Webster, freedom from pride or arrogance. I thought that was a, even a, quite a Christian definition to be free from this, this, this pride and arrogance. Um, and then patience, did a, a Sunday school on that last summer, uh, and uh, condensed the, the hour-long presentation to this. Patience is basically the, the willingness and the ability to wait, usually amidst hardship, right? We talked about patience, the, the Greek term that's usually translated was translated long-suffering, which is actually closer to the word, um, the closer to the Greek word. So there's a, there's a sense of, of, of suffering within this, but there's also a sense of freedom from pride and arrogance. And here we have 
Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4, which is right after uh, what we looked at a second ago, right after 2, 1, which is not surprising. Um, and this is the Lord's answer to him after his, his second complaint. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So there we have the Lord calling to Habakkuk to be patient, to wait for it. That's the patience piece. Um, Dave? right. So, thanks, Dave. Um, so we see the, the patience aspect, and then we have this Habakkuk 2-4, uh, that line that, that Paul picks up on, um, that wonderful line at the end of that, the righteous shall live by faith or by his faith. Um, but what's really interesting there to me is what comes before it and what it's contrasted with. So behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So in that sense, what's the opposite of faith? Pride. Pride and arrogance. And I think that's, that's uh, clearly stated. And this is God speaking to Habakkuk. In a sense, he's, he's almost giving him instructions here for himself and also for us, obviously. Um, this is what you need to do. And then we go to, again, the end of Habakkuk, right before that great statement, 3.16. What do we see? Well, we see, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So it's almost as if the Lord says this to Habakkuk, wait a little while, and then Habakkuk is actually doing it, right? He tells him to do something, be patient, be humble, and in his prayer, he is actually um, practicing that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. He's terrified, absolutely. He doesn't like what's going to happen. I think that's that patient humility, that, that maybe that's what you're getting at, where it's this is horrible. Like, it looks really bad to me, right? Yet. Um, and that's the, part of it is that patient humility, part of it is that perspective. Like, he, he has a sense of the work, what the Lord is, is doing here. And where does he get that sense? I would say he gets it from memory or from remembering. And here is Habakkuk. Three, two. Um, so this is the beginning, and you know, I wish we really could have read through the entire book and really could see things piece up. But this is the beginning of book, uh, chapter three, chapter three, um, which is that psalm of Habakkuk, and that we see the conclusion, which we've already read. It says. O Lord, I have heard, of the, heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. 
in wrath, remember mercy. That's probably the closest Habakkuk gets to in saying, thy will be done, right? Contrast that to the beginning, to, to chapter 1. There's really no sense of that in, in chapter 1. Say that again? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like, he, but as you said, he gets it, but he's still not, maybe not happy about it, absolutely. Um, and if you look, and if you'll just, well, we're not going to, I don't think we'll read through all of um, chapter 3, but the rest of chapter 3, from, from this sort of intro to that great statement that we were looking at, is basically um, Habakkuk recounting, remembering um, God's faithfulness in the Exodus and of his reclamation of the promised land. Um, at least that's what I've seen and what other interpreters have said. Basically, if you look at that and the references there, he's basically saying, starting with this line, you know, make people remember, revive your word, make it known, and then he's recounting that. So there's that transition in that, in that, that psalm, which is, here's everything you've done. And that's, um, after he's done that, that's what we get to, sorry, that part that we had before, I'm sorry, I'm going back here, but after he does that, he hears and his body trembles. And that's when he says, I'll quietly wait. So, this This is what we're, we're seeing here. Um, and some questions I have here is, how do we, how do we remember today? Like what, are, what are the things that we do? I think this is a good application. So some of the things that we do to remember. So if, we're, um, if, we were, if our faith is, is shaky, if we're crying out and we just don't get it, what are some of the things that we do to remember in our, in our church or in our lives? It's not a trick question. Memorize scripture, right. Yeah, absolutely. Write it on your heart so that you can come back to it even when things aren't, you know, because it doesn't seem right. Other things? together? What do we do when we meet together? Say that again? Absolutely. Do this in remembrance of me. I think that's a huge one that we see through here. I mean, think about the importance of that, um, of that sacrament in, in what we do as, as, a, as Christ's church. It's central to it. And I think that this idea of memory and remembrance is, is huge, and it was huge for the prophets as well. I mean, they were recounting the Exodus, which is basically the gospel for the Old Testament writers, right? Um, so these are the, the key pieces here. 
So let's now, I promise we go back to this. And this is where, open to some discussion and to some sort of thoughts on what you're seeing here. Do, I mean, my first question is, do we see these things even in this final, this great statement? Do we see perspective? Do we see patient humility? Do we see memory in these statements? And then I'm also interested in hearing your thoughts about the transition from book or chapter one to chapter three. And so what do we think? Do we see, well, I already talked, I gave you away the perspective one. Do we see patient humility? Say it, say it again. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've learned as I read scripture, especially when I read um, the prophets, to not get hung up on the intense a lot of times. Um, because I think a lot of times that can throw us off a little bit, because um, it says, I will rejoice. Does that mean he's not rejoicing now? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's, it's more of a continuous piece, and he's also talking about the future past. Good. So, I mean, I think we see that as, I think, Rob, you already pointed it out, patient humility with yet I will rejoice. Like, I don't like these things. I'm pretty sure that... These don't seem good to me, right? If we're looking at what comes before us, we're talking about blight, we're talking about um, starvation level breakdown of society, right? And if we look at that first statement, we're looking at, and, and some people have pointed out that really the first three are more like luxury items and then the second three are more like necessities. So like the fig tree, the fruit, the olive, those are sort of these luxuries of the time but then grain, um, milk, meat, these are the things that people need to survive. So it's almost, in some ways, he's almost pre presenting a progression of worsening, even within that um, first statement. Yeah. But he, he doesn't like that, and yet he comes back and he says, yet I will rejoice. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and that's something that I, I think I haven't really touched upon that's really key to this, what you just said, is what does he have, what, what is he rejoicing in? God himself, absolutely. It's, he's not rejoicing in the circumstance. He's not saying, great, I'm, my family's going to starve to death. This is wonderful. He's, he's looking at that 
and he's saying, despite these things, I'm, I'm able to do this. And I think the other piece that's really important to note here, which is kind of what happened with this picture, which isn't particularly aesthetically pleasing, um, is when I was trying to, first I used this template and it wanted me to put an image, so I, I did, and I found this image of olive trees that were all dying and blight and all these things. I said, all right, that works. And I'm like, well, actually, that's the first part. The second part is rejoice. So there's this wonderful picture of the people jumping up, you know, a sunset and rejoicing. And then I'm like, well, but they're, and then I was like, I can put them on separate slides, but they're happening at the same time, right? It's not one thing, then the other. It's not he's waiting for the, 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 the trials to be over, then he rejoices. It's at the same time. Um, and, well, I know Tim could have done a much better job by getting those images up there, but go ahead. And I'm going to kind of try to, to shift and say, so what is our, and we talked about this, how do we remember? Um, for us, we're not going to hear God come down and respond in this way, but how does he respond? How does God respond to us? Where, where, where do we look? When we go up on the, the, the watchtower like Habakkuk does, we're not going to hear the Lord come back and give us a prophecy. Maybe to you. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we have, among other things, we have the book of Habakkuk. Right? We have all of Scripture that we look to. That, that's what we, when we go up to the watchtower to look and get the perspective that we need, it's here. And that also brings me to a question that I um, was thinking about as I was doing this. Why is Habakkuk 1 included in Scripture? Why do we have that? I mean, we're, I don't think we're supposed to emulate that and say, oh, God, I thought you were so great. I guess you're not. Um, we're not supposed to emulate that, and yet it's there. Or are we supposed to emulate that? I don't know. Sorry, I wanted to get you. Sorry, I have a, a couple of minutes.
think also we're looking how do we get that how do how do we where does that come from I think a lot of it is looking from what he did so we look back to trust the future right to trust what he says he's going to do and that can provide this type of um, joy um, or peace in the present Do you have one, one more comment? see in God's response, he says, well, you're not going to get it. But then he kind of explains it to him anyways. And yeah, we get some peace there. Yeah, and I, and I think that's absolutely right. And, and I'll be honest, the reason, sort of the reason what drew me to the book of Habakkuk wasn't so much chapter three, it was chapter one. Like that's, that's you know, you pick up your Bible and you're reading like, hmm, this is kind of interesting. Um, and there are times, uh, you know, especially I think in the last couple of months, where kind of connect more to Habakkuk 1. And you're looking there and you're saying, this, this doesn't make sense, right? How, how, how does this work? How does this make sense? Um, and we had that, Ashley and I had that same experience when we're reading the Psalms or doing the McShane reading in most of the summer was the Psalms, the ones that cried out with no resolution felt more comforting for some reason. Because you, you felt like you could sympathize with the writer there instead of ones that were given all these blessings and things like that. Um, so not saying that that's the correct response, but that is a response that I think um, I can't be the only one that has that response. So I imagine that that is part of, that, that draws us in and seeing, oh, well, where does this come from? How, what is Habakkuk, not, I don't want to say what he's doing, what is God doing in Habakkuk, um, what are some things that are, are drawing those? And some of the things that really helped me is really that perspective piece and to really, um, to really think of, be humble in that aspect, right? Um, I think Tim Keller calls it, uh, we all have, or we have this assumed omniscience for ourselves. Right? We, we assume we know what's supposed to happen, therefore we're upset when it doesn't happen. But if we think about it, even for a minute, we know that we really don't. I mean, we, there are so many things that we, even in our limited perspective, that we see um, that we were wrong in what we thought. Right? We were wrong in what we wanted. 
And I think that that's, that's kind of what we see there. And, and I think the only way we see that, when we get that perspective and that humility, I think is, is, is through, through reading scripture, through sermons, things like that. Go ahead, Jim. And I think that is the, that's the message. Um, and the message in, in what we see is Habakkuk coming to that mature understanding. Um, and not just understanding, but that feeling as well. I think there's also, a, maybe there's a distinction there. I think maybe, maybe last comment to this. So, we are at that time. So let me close in prayer, and then and then we can close it. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time together, and we praise you for your word. Um, praise you that you let us understand pieces of it, and, and, and yet you are a God so great that of how could we understand it? Lord, as, as, as Christians, we should be able to, um, to cry out like Habakkuk, that whatever comes before that yet, we should be able to say, I rejoice in you. Um, you are my strength. But Lord, that's not always easy. Lord, we, we, we ask for the strength, um, the wisdom, the perspective, the humility, and the memory um, to be able to really see what you're, what you're doing. Um, and, and, and we thank you for including Habakkuk 1 um, to show us that we are not perfect um, and that we need you. But you are, you are everything. And we must put all of our um, faith and rejoicing in you and only you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.